Have you ever noticed that it's hard to make friends when you're an adult? Yep, you're not alone. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 290, Heather Unkin and How to Be a Friend. friends welcome back to halfway there this is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary christians about today's christian experience i'm your host eric nevins thank you so much for being here you know i always say that somebody said to me recently i listened to your show from like two years ago and it was almost the exact same open yeah it's kind of a kind of a habit but here's the thing i mean every word i'm so glad that you're here and i'm excited that you've downloaded this show, every single one that we make, uh, I do with some sort of intention, including this one. So if you like it, do me a favor, leave a review, share it on social somewhere, tag me. I'd love that. That'd be great. Uh, and if you have the means, I know it's weird out there, but, uh, if you are interested, go and, uh, support us at Patreon, just go to have podcast.com. There's a Patreon button that lets you just help support the show financially and keeps us running. Appreciate that. All right, let's get into our conversation here. I am super stoked to, to have it because she's dealing with uh, an issue that I think is super important, and we'll talk all about it. Her show is, uh, she's a podcaster, and her show is called Connecting in the Chaos. It's about how to develop and maintain friendship as an adult. How hard is that, right? We'll talk about that, I'm sure. Our guest is an entrepreneur, a nurse, and as I already said, a fellow podcaster, Heather Unkin. Heather, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad to have you. And uh, we, of course, met through Christian Podcasters Association, my Facebook group for Christian podcasters. Thank, thanks for being here. There's kind of, that's those are broad labels, entrepreneur and nurse and and uh, podcaster. So, but I'm sure there's more to you. So tell us kind of more about where God has you right now and who you are. So currently um, I'm married, uh, my husband, Riley, we have four daughters. Uh, my oldest is 14 and then seven. And then I have twins that are five. And so I'm home. That's fun. Yes, it is a lot of fun. A lot of sass and drama around here, but I love it. <laughs> so I am home with them and I actually work nights as a labor and delivery nurse is my actual profession of what I went to school for and got my degree in. But my passion for friendships and connecting people has really been on my heart the last couple of years when God just really brought to light the need and just how many people are struggling with this issue. And it was one of those things that I kind of felt like I was the broken person and I was the person that had the issues with connecting and I could make friends, but it just felt like those friendships never went past that surface level. And I thought it was a me problem. And I thought like, what's wrong with me? And really just started talking to other women and finding out that, um, no, this is an issue that a lot of adults, adult women struggle with. And so from there, God just put this desire in my heart to create a tool that would actually help us to become more intentional in our friendships. And I can't really share a ton about it because it's in the creation stage right now, but it's going to be an app. And it's been a long process. Uh, It is something as a mom and as a wife and just, you know, managing everybody else's life that just has kept getting put on the back burner, but just really have felt in this last year, like it's time to get this out to the world because 
the world needs this. So I um, would love to share more about that at a further time, but that is being developed currently. So that's kind of my entrepreneur thing of creating this tool that, like I said, I would have never uh, even, I'm not a techie person. I'm nothing like that, but like, you know, God uses the, the most unlikely people to create things that will bring him glory. So, which is what I hope that this tool will do. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about the internet is the opportunity to do things. Uh, even if you're not right, mm-hmm. but, like it's, it's completely, you can find somebody you can, it can be done. Uh, there's ways to do it. So it sounds like you're figuring that out. I love that. I love the focus on friendship. I don't think it's uh, just, if you don't mind my saying, I don't think it's just women either. I think it's like you, it's hard as a guy to making friends and figuring uh, all that stuff out. You got to have some sort of common interest or something. And usually it ends up being stuff like cigars and beer, but anyway, or whiskey, which may you can debate the, uh, the value of that. But anyway, okay. I appreciate that. So, but it is interesting. uh, So that's one reason that I wanted to talk to you because I think that we need some of those uh, we need to be having those conversations. So, um, Thank you. I let's go into your story and let's kind of leave, figure out how you hear how you came up uh, to this point. So, um, I know you're you're in the Midwest. Do you, do you mind what part of the Midwest are you in? So I'm about an hour outside of Chicago. Oh, okay. Are you in Illinois? Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, I lived in Highland Park for uh, seven years. We were, went to Trinity. So we okay, were, Chicago is our jam. I miss the food. Well, you don't miss the weather <laughs> or the traffic, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, you're right. When I was, we were moving from there to Colorado, uh, people say, Oh, you're going to so much snow. They have no idea that it melts in two days. And it's gone, right. Cause in Chicago, it doesn't. Do yeah. That. It's, it's just, just it's just gray and gross from I November to March. So, uh, that's fantastic. Okay. So are you from there? Yes. Yeah. I grew up there. Okay. So what was it like Christian family? So my family became Christian about when I was in about sixth grade and my mom actually was kind of the catalyst for it. We grew up going to church at a Catholic church, but there was no relationship with Jesus. We basically went out of just in case grandma asked if we went to church, we could say, yeah, we went, but there was no, there was no relationship. And my mom actually got um, a book given to her and it was about heaven and it just really sparked her interest of what is what is after this life is this it and from there just was like went to my dad and said hey i i think we need to leave the catholic church and i i need to we need to find a a bible-based church that is teaching the bible that can help us grow a relationship with the lord and so that was about when i was in sixth grade and you know i think at the time i thought that i had that I was a believer, but I think a lot of what I had was just what my mom was. I don't want to say forcing down my throat, but what was, you're going to church, you're going to youth group, you're doing all these things. But I think my heart was still pretty hard. And so I went through the motions. I'm very much a rule follower. I'm very much, if you tell me what to do, even if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to follow the rules. And so, you know, I knew all about, I was, my mom gave me a purity ring. I wasn't going to have sex before I was married, like just all these things. And not necessarily because I wanted that because I knew a, it was really important to my mom and my dad and B it was, it's what God's word said that. And so I 
grew up and, you know, all through high school, even college, like I never had, never dated, never had really, I felt like anybody that was even interested in me. And even though I was going to school to become a nurse in college, my desire was, I just want to be married and I just want to be a mom. Like that was all my heart's cry was for. And I felt like I had these, you know, these things that I had basically taken stance on, like, I'm not going to have sex. I'm, I mean, at that point I was like, I'm not even going to kiss a a guy until I marry. Like I just was very, and I was like, okay, is this, is this ruining why I'm not going to have, why I don't have a boyfriend? Like, is there, am, am I, is maybe I'm just being, I'm watching all my other friends who are getting married. I'm watching my other friends who are having kids I mean, they had sex before marriage and and their life looks like it's going pretty good. So, I mean, what, you know, what can it hurt? And so I, I honestly remember I was about 23, really making the, the conscious decision to be like, Jesus, I don't need you. And I'm going to do this on my own because life with you is not working out how I want it to go. I'm tired of being alone, tired of being single, and I'm going to do this on my own. And so I, I mean, I'm sure you guys can all guess how that ended not well, yeah. but okay. I'm going to ask that's, that's, that's a good point. I want to come back to that for okay. ju- in just a second, because I want to ask a few questions sure. about your family. Cause sure. I, I love that you said we became Christian in, in sixth grade. Like mm-hmm. you were kind of in the, in the soup, if I could say yeah. it that way. Right. Uh, but then you, you became, you became a believer and it sounds like for you, you felt like, okay, it was kind of the thing you did sounds like you also got pretty steeped in purity culture mm-hmm. as, yes. as well at the time it was yeah. kind of a big deal. Yep. And, uh, and so your my guess is that your understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus was probably a rule book. Yes, exactly. And you said you're a rule follower mm-hmm. too, right? Is that yep. right? Okay. Yes. So, so that all resonates. That's what's interesting to me is that's such a terrible, terrible burden mm-hmm. to put on a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Did you experience that? At the time, no. But then later when I knew what it really felt like to follow Jesus and to have a personal relationship with him, I then realized what those early years were. They were just, they were very legalistic and there was no, there was no relationship. And I did not see him as a heavenly father who loved me. I saw him as if I did anything wrong, I was going to, the wrath of God was going to come down on me. So I'm going to just do everything that I can to follow his ways so that, you know, life's life is good. And, and so, but then later when I understood God's love, God's character, and was able to experience the relationship from that way, then I was able to look at those early years and be like, well, and I also, I mean, it also breaks my heart for so many people that I see that are still living that way. Yeah. So I call that kind of learning the way of Jesus, that sort of stage in mm-hmm. the, in the journey, because these things are valuable. And this is where I, like, I personally struggle a lot because it's valuable to read your Bible every day. It's valuable to pray. It's valuable to, uh, you know, do all the things and, you know, and follow a certain morality and the, those things, there's a good reason for that. I'm sure you're going to tell us why in just a minute. But the, all those things are, they're good to have those practices. 
but they aren't the relationship. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the, where it gets confused. I think we see the Pharisees do this all the mm-hmm. time. Like if we just do all the right things, God won't be mad at us and kick us out of the land again, right? Well, it doesn't exactly work like that. And you see Jesus show up and go, hey, no. Um, so interesting. I think that's that's uh, that just is, is a fascinating example of kind of that stage of the journey and what it's like. We're there. It's normal, especially for a young person. Okay. I also love the idea that you were like, I'm 23. It's not working. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out, which, you know, if my daughter were 23 and she wasn't married, I'd be like, that's good. Just <laughs> <laughs> now. Right. Yeah. But maybe not at the time. I know it doesn't feel that way, especially as all your friends are getting married and stuff. Okay. So you decide not to So you're like, I'm just, I'm rejecting this. I'm going to go my own way. How'd that work for you? Well, and the other thing I was going to back up to is I also think because I was doing everything right in my eyes, following all the rules, watching my friends who aren't get what I want. I I felt like a sense of entitlement, like, God, you should be giving this to me. Like, why are you not, why are you not answering my prayers? And like, I know they're having sex and they just got married. Like what the heck, you know? And so, um, I definitely felt like that was the other thing with my, you know, relationship with him is I felt like he was somebody that owed me something and, Obviously, yeah. well, I had that backwards. So I ca- I call that God is my ATM syndrome, yes. right? Like, like if I do all the right things, I you know I put in my faith card mm-hmm. and I punch in my pin number of, you know, Bible study and prayer and holyish living, then out comes the blessings, and that's just is not how it works. Yeah, exactly. Right, so you found that out, okay? So yes. you decide, gonna do my own thing. Yes. So I probably had about three years of just self destructive behavior from just drinking, uh, my dating, uh, sleeping around with different people. I just completely self-destructed from the girl that I was it. I, you couldn't recognize who I was in that three years. And when I was 26, I got pregnant with my daughter and I just remember And that, because the relationship with her dad was not good. And so, but just being like, okay, I'm going to make this work. Um, He had lied to me. He had cheated on me. Like, it just was not, that was definitely not God's best for me. So I was, but I was committed to making it work. And halfway through my pregnancy, he basically called me and said, hey, peace out. I'm done. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want you. I'll. I'll have something to do with the baby, but I don't want anything to do with you. And for me, like rejection is like one of my biggest triggers. And so that just brought me to just a level of despair and depression of like, how am I going to do this by myself? I mean, my parents were supportive, but disappointed. Like we love you because you're our daughter, but Heather, how did we get here? You know, kind of thing. And so I think it was at that point that he left and I knew I was, I was going to do this alone that I just remember just getting down on my knees and just in a ball as much as I could get in a ball with my belly and just crying out to God and just saying, I can't do this by myself. And I am about to bring a human being into the world. And I don't want, this is not the kind of mom I want to be to her. And I want her to know you. And it was at that point that I was like, okay, God, like we need to get back on track because I can't do this without you. And so it was right about the time that 
she was born. I actually say like, she saved me because she is what is what brought me back to the Lord. And she is what redirected me of like, I don't know how much longer if things would have, if I would not have had her, how much longer I would have gone down that self-destructive path. And so, yeah, so I had her and we were going to church regularly. We were, it was great. I was in this young adult group at our church and I was the only one with a kid and the the, the people there were so supportive and they loved her and they loved me. And I was growing in my faith and she was from the beginning growing up to know Jesus. And I just continued to just pray that it wouldn't just be me and her. Like I wanted, I wanted to have a partner to raise her with. I wanted to have more kids. I loved being a mom. I loved being her mom. And I just remember getting to the point with her and she was about four and it was February. And I just remember exactly the place I was walking. And I just said, okay, Lord, like if it's just going to be me and her, like this is more than I deserve Mm -hmm. and I am okay with it. And about six weeks later, I met my husband and I really feel like it was just, God just needed me to surrender it and just to let him know that he was enough. And he wanted to give me so much more, but he first wanted to know that he was enough. And I, for all these years have been trying to find all these things to fill, fill what only he could fill. And so I met my husband. Um, We got married a year later and we got, we had three more kids. And then the biggest um, blessing that came out of it is my oldest daughter's biological dad Uh, allowed my husband to legally adopt her, which was something that was a complete miracle that we never thought that he, uh, he would do. And so uh, on her 10th birthday, she, we officially all were a family with, you know, because my biggest concern was, and this probably is gonna sound a little bit morbid, but before he adopted her, I was like, if something ever happens to me, she's going to leave. He's going to take her. Like she's going to be removed from her sisters and her dad. Like my husband was like the main person as her father figure. And so like, there was just a, I just a relief the day that those papers were signed to know like, okay, Heather, like you're not holding this, you're not holding this family together anymore. Like if something happens to you, everybody is going to be, um, be together and be okay. So, so yeah, that's, a little bit of my story. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Well, it's interesting to me that you, you know, during your sort of, what are we going to call that? Your, your time away from the Lord, Mm -hmm. you were thinking that, um, you know, he doesn't do anything for you. Right. Mm -hmm. He's like, I I tell these, but it was really the, the rules that Mm -hmm. didn't, that didn't really do anything for you. Uh, and that it was a moment of surrender calling out to God, Hey, I need, I need you. I need to figure this out in a different way mm-hmm. that actually changed your experience. Yes. And I also think on the other side, once you have hit the hit the bottom of the barrel and you have completely turned your back on God, you experience grace in a way that I don't think I could have ever experienced it from yeah. the rule follower of doing everything right. I look at what I have and I go, God, I so don't deserve this, but thank you for giving this to me. Thank you for entrusting these girls to me and my husband. I mean, it's, he is more than 
anything that I, you know, I just think of the Bible verse, Ephesians 3.20, where he wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more anything that we could dream or imagine. And I feel like that is what he wanted to do my whole life. And I'm actually like experiencing and living it. I mean, each night I go in and I kiss my girls' heads when they're in bed. I'm just like, I, I don't, mm. I don't deserve you guys. Like God, thank you for being so good to me. Yeah. I love that. It's interesting to me too. I find um, in different stories and friends, I just want to, I want to point this out, but don't, I don't know. I don't know how much I want you to apply it to your own journey. Um, that wherever we, what I find is that people who either like come to faith in sort of a dramatic way, we, there always has to be this sort of moment of surrender, this sort of bottoming out. Right. And so some, some of us grow up in the church or come to church early, like you did, you know, and then there has to be this other kind of moment of surrender typically in some way. Whereas some people I've interviewed, I, the, my favorite example is, um, interviewed John Schlitt from Petra. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. My favorite, they're my favorite mm-hmm. band. Yeah. He came to Jesus. He got, he's like, after he was about, it was a long story. I can link the episode, but he, anyway, very dramatically. And he, when I asked him about like, did you ever have a dark night? So he was like, no way, man. Like I'm, I'm in. Right. But that, because he already had that moment. Mm-hmm. Of anyway, I'm interested in that. That's kind of, I'm just I'm contemplating that while you're talking. Uh, Cause the spiritual journey fascinates me and, it's all, we're all different, but we're all, we can see these patterns. Yes. You know? So you went through it and then you found a place to plug in and grow. And it sounds like a community that mm-hmm. really supported you. And then the moment you were like, okay, God, you're, you're enough. It's okay. Whatever I will surrender to you, whatever that means. God provides you with all these, with, with the things that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that. Yep. Okay. Well, so that's kind of some of your, some of your family and your faith life. Did you, so did you ever have like, sounds like you, so given all that I just said, that was kind of your moment of surrender. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a dark night of the soul after that or a season when God felt far away? Um, yes. And I think moving forward a little bit more. It was just a couple years ago. My dad, he basically made the decision that he didn't want to be a husband and he never wanted kids. And he left our family. And it was something at the age of 38. I was at the time that it happened. I never saw coming. My dad what I thought was a very godly man, loved the Lord. Him and my mom worked for a while putting in wells in Uganda. Somebody I'd look up to, especially when I was trying to understand what the Old Testament scripture, how I could apply this to my life. He he understood it and could explain it to me when I was struggling or when my kids were in the part of their Bible that we were in the Old Testament and they were asking me questions. I'd always say, go ask grandpa because I'm not really sure how to explain this. And he went from being the dad I knew to, I just remember my, one of my last conversations with him before he left just sobbing and just saying, I don't understand. Like you, you love the Lord. Like you love mom, you love us. And 
he hit just being so cold. Like I, he was just ice cold to me. Like, mm. and I, for the longest time, just got on my knees and just prayed that God would, would just change my dad's heart and intervene and whatever he was walking in that God would reveal it. And the Lord did reveal that he was having an affair with somebody at his work, which was the original reason why he left after about maybe four months of being gone. He called my mom back and, or called my mom. They were in the middle of the divorce that he had filed and he called and he said, I, I made a big, big mistake. And, you know, asked if he could come back and reconcile. We all sat down with them. And I really felt like this was the Lord's way of like, this was, this was God answering our prayers of restoring this, redeeming this, fixing this broken mess. And that we were just going to be this story of that people were going to look at and look at a, at a hopeless mess and go look at how mm. their marriage was restored. And so he came back yeah. and we sat down and he said, I sat down with my one sister. I've, I've got, I'm, I'm the oldest of four girls. And I sat down with my one sister and he was very remorseful and he was just crying and couldn't believe what he did and that he put us all through. And I said to my sister or my sister said to him, you do understand if you ever do this again, like we're done. Like we, we will never see us again. Like we will have to put up the boundary to protect ourselves and our kids. If you ever decide to put us through this again. I won't, I won't just very remorseful. And that lasted for about a year and he left it again in November of 2020. And it was just that place of God, why did you let him come back just for him to shatter us all over us, shatter us all over again? Like I just could not understand. And I was angry at God. And I just took some time where I was just like, God, I, mm. I actually had to go back and really study God's character because everything in me was sh was telling me that he was wow. a cruel God that didn't love me because how would he allow so much pain to be inflicted on my family? And I had to fight with every bone in my body, the truths of God over what my heart wanted to tell me God was. And it it was, it was, it was so hard. And I still have days where I'm, I struggle, but I also through that, I think once again, that surrender of me being very honest. I mean, I laid on my floor, I cried, I yelled at God and I, I, I think he is actually honored with our honesty and the fact mm -hmm. that we are comfortable enough to say those things to him that you know, a lot of people are like, gosh, that's kind of disrespectful, but I'm like, no, God, like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Like I, it feels like you hate me. I know your yeah. word says you don't hate me, but that's what it feels like. And honestly, it's been the most painful three years of my life, but I also feel like I have grown in my relationship with him and in how I see others that I would not have gotten if my heart would not have broken like it did. Wow. Okay. So those two things right there though, are exactly the kind of things that the reason I asked the dark night mm -hmm. question, right? Because it, it is, is in the pain that we develop. John of the cross wrote the dark night of the soul. And he talked about how God uses the darkness 
to take those things out of us that mm-hmm. to take identities out of us that we should not be owning and that and he gives us something new so for you what have you had to let go of and what do you, what have you received in that season so i think what i've let go of is needing to understand why things happen mm-hmm. and needing to be able to connect all the dots and to figure it out and to just really have that trust of going, God, you love me. And sometimes that enough, that alone is enough to just give me that peace that I need. Like, okay, God, I look at how much I love my kids. If you love me even more than this, like whatever is going on, you have my best interest in mind. It may not feel right now like you do, but I'm trusting you that you do. And I think through that, I am an introvert and I am somebody who very, who could, I'm not saying that this is, would be good for me, but this, I am somebody who could stay home and have no problem connecting with other people. And through this, the brokenness showed me my, how much I needed other people. And so it opened my eyes to a need that I did not realize that how much I needed it. I mean, if you, if you think about it, if you go to Genesis, the first thing that God deemed not good was for man to be alone. And so if that is the first thing that he said was not good, that should show you the importance of how much we need community and for to have other people around us. And I was just so used to being able to have everything together that I really felt like I didn't need people. They were a nice, you know, they were a nice add-on bonus, but it wasn't a need. And when I went through this season, they were a need. I mean, I just remember days when it hurt so much. Like I, I didn't even know how to get out of bed and then I needed to still care for my kids to be able to call up friends and say, Hey, I need to squeeze in a counseling session today. Can you watch my kids? Like just those things. It just showed me how much Mm -hmm. I need people. And, but I feel like in return, people were a, people were able to be there for me. And I was able to experience that blessing that then in return, I wanted to be that person for somebody else. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like through this, dark season, you learned to rely on others and maybe your inner circle, did your inner circle expand a little bit? For sure. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. I think there's a, you tell me if this is true. This may or may not be true of you. I think one of my problems with American evangelicalism is the idolization of the family, right? Like we make the family. So we lift it up so high. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. It's great. I know that, but there's a lot of political, et cetera, mm-hmm. reasons for that. But we also need each other and we mm-hmm. need the church body. We need, we need that. And it sounds like you discovered that as, as you were going through this, this tough time. Yes, absolutely. And I think for me, my parents, and I realized this through this process, like I had them on a pedestal of these people who could do no wrong. And I went to them for everything from you know, advice, watching my kids when I needed something fixed, like they were just those, they were my people. And then they fell, my dad fell. And then I also saw my mom in a place where 
her world just completely, it really in a matter of months just flipped upside down. And so seeing these two people who were, I didn't realize that I had on a pedestal, but I did once they fell, I had no idea how to cope. And so in return, I fell apart and it was realizing, okay, nobody gets that place except the Lord. And when you put people in that place that he should be in, when they fall, then you're like, well, what am I going to do? Like, how, how am I going to go on if this can happen to them? You know? And so, but if, if the Lord is there, he is never going to fail us. He is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, hundred years from now, he is the same. And so just seeing that importance of that is why the Bible talks about not having idols. And I didn't even think of my parents as being idols or anything, but I realized when that happened and the devastation that it brought over me in a way that was even bigger than I think it should have affected me. I think it was because of where I had them placed in my life. Mm. Really fascinating. Wow. Okay. So did that then uh, spur you to think about your, your podcast or your like, did, are the two connected? So kind of, so okay. basically it was during the same season. I was just not doing well. And a friend of mine, her name is Abby and still is a great friend. And she dropped off like a little like bouquet of flowers at my door. And I think it was May Day. And I remember getting it and I remember feeling so loved, so important. And I remember feeling seen. I, and in that moment, I remember exactly where I was standing in the kitchen, just being like, why do we not do this more often? I mean, her simple gesture, it didn't just change my day. It changed my life. Cause I'm here, what, three years later, still talking about it. And it got my wheels turning of why don't we do this more? Every single one of us, I like to say, we each have a superpower to change the trajectory of somebody's day, good or bad. Like let's focus on the good here, but we all have that ability. And it's something that I don't think many of us take advantage of. And so at that moment, when I got that, I said, here's the thing at the core of every single person, no matter who they are, They just, they want to know that they're loved, that they're known, that they're important, that they're seen, like that everybody wants that. And we have the ability to, to get, to do something for somebody that makes them feel like they are important, that they're valued, that they're seen, that they are known. And so I just started going, why don't we do this more? Why don't we exercise this? this more. And so I just, from that point, really just started praying like, okay, God, like, what can I do? Cause I just know how much this impacted me. I want to do this for others. And so I just basically started listening, listening to my friends when they would talk, because honestly, if you start training yourself to listen, people will tell you the needs and what they have going on in their life. And you just have to listen because once I started listening, I remember thinking either my friends just really all developed needs once I started listening, or I just wasn't, (laughs) I was so wrapped up in myself before 
that I never heard what they were saying. And I mean, it could be something simple like, hey, I'm, I've, I'm running, I've got doctor's appointments all day and I'm so exhausted. And you're like, Bing, I'm going to drop you off a meal later. It's one last thing. You don't have to worry about making dinner tonight. Or you have a friend that's just struggling and you're like, oh, I'm going to send her a card in the mail. I know old school yeah. of encouragement. Like everybody loves getting mail. That's not a bill, right? So, yeah. or, you know, just I, you know, something that they want to do, but they can't do because they have no one to watch their kids. Hey, I'll take your kids so that you can go do this. I mean, you start listening, you're going to have so many, you're going to hear just a ton of needs, but it's training that ear to be intentional in your listening. And the other thing that I have found with that is in my changing how I've started listening to my friends, when you are, when you have your ear out listening for the needs of others, your pain and what you're going through is not doesn't seem as big because you're not focusing on it. When all I was focusing on was my pain and what I was going through, it seemed huge. Once I started looking at others, seeing how others close to me were hurting too, that I did not even know, it actually was, it was actually healing for me. It actually started helping with my healing process, taking my energy. And I'm like, I can either look inward at my pain or I can start looking out and seeing how I can just love these people that God has given me and how I can show them that they are important, that they're loved, that they're known and that they're seen. And it has honestly turned into from that me coming up with this idea of the app that is going to help everybody to do a better job and be able to do this. And then from that, it kind of that's where the podcast came in is I'm like, I need to see, I needed to show people the problem that we have. Cause I don't think people realize that we think of friendship and our connections as a luxury and they're not a luxury. They're wow. important. They're like I said, the first thing God deemed not well was for us to be alone. They are an essential and we are treating them like they're a luxury. And so the last statistic I think I saw is 80% of people say that they're lonely. I mean, that that is astonishing, 80%. And yeah. so just, I think getting that need out there, I think it's something that people either didn't know how big of a need it was, or they're like me who thought it's just me. It's just me who has a friend, has a problem with making friends and deepening yes. these connections. And so nobody wants to feel like the freak being like, I have no friends. And so everybody just keeps quiet <laughs> and right. everybody doesn't, or nobody realizes that everybody is struggling and yeah. we're struggling because we were meant to do this life together. Right. And this last, you know, two, two, three years, whatever is mm. just making it worse. Yes. Right. The whole, the whole mm. pandemic thing is 100% so much worse. Yes. Uh, totally, totally get that. Okay. A couple things, um, that I have to mention, I'm reading the book right now called rejection proof. Okay. And this dude st goes on, uh, the author starts sharing, this was 2009, like early social media, but he starts sharing his, he tries to get rejected at places, just whatever he, so he like asks Krispy Kreme and this lady to make her Olympic rings to make him out of donuts. Right. And she does it. 
takes a video, it goes viral. It was, it was a huge, huge big deal. But what he found from that, I just read this this morning, is that people resonated with that because they were so terrified of rejection mm -hmm. as well. And so that his journey, him sharing his journey of, of pursuing rejection just in order to desensitize himself to it, other people resonate with that because they, they were like, oh my goodness, I struggle with that too. And they've limited themselves because of that. I think that plays mm -hmm. into relationships a lot. We limit ourselves because we don't want to be rejected by others or we have been rejected by others. And that hurts. Yes. Um, there's another quote that, um, that Janelle Wood told me about uh, by David Augsburger. I don't know if you've heard this. He says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. So you're talking about listening. Yes. Being heard is so close to being loved that for most of us, we can't tell the difference, yeah. which means it's basically this. It's, it's the yeah. same thing. Being heard is loving. Wow. Yeah. And you're, you're, you discovered this as you were in finding people were lonely. Yes, for sure. That, uh, I just blows me away. I think it is true. I think loneliness is one of those things that is probably its own, uh, its own, I don't want to use the word pandemic, endemic. I don't know what it is, but it's a, it's, it's, it's just so baked into mm -hmm. our society that it's very, very difficult uh, to overcome. So your podcast is kind of about connecting the chaos. It's about how we do that, right? Yeah. How we, how we make those friends. I saw you had an episode recently with Maradonsa mm -hmm. about uh, she was, she was a guest last year, maybe uh, here about, taking care of our single friends, mm -hmm. right? Th things like that. So there's, it's multifaceted. Um, what's something you've learned as you've been doing the show for about how, how we can, can, can connect or help each other? Well, I am also, I've, I said at the beginning of when I started my podcast, I'm like, I'm not doing this because I've got all the answers to friendship. Like I'm learning along with my podcast. I'm like every guest I have on, teaches me something. And so for me, like one of the things that I love is I am somebody just, and I think because I am an introvert and kind of like to be keep to myself, I get a little bit uncomfortable when I have friends who are going through a difficult situation that I have not necessarily walked through. Cause I'm like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. So what I do as I just stay away. And that's actually the, that is what you should not do. <laughs> um, they would much rather actually you be there and say the wrong thing than you completely check out on them is what I have learned. So I yeah. have started bringing, having guests on that have personally walked through a situation. I've I mean, we've had divorce. We've had ch having a child with special needs. We've had a loss of a child. I mean, we've had all of these, you know, when you're single later in life, just all of these ways that, Hey, I went through this. This is what my friends did really well. And this is what I needed. And this is probably what I wouldn't do. And so it's like, let's not check out from those friends. Let's not get scared when, or intimidated when their situation seems like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Or we think somebody else is going to step in and do it. Let's be brave. Let's show up but here's a tool to kind of help you go in to it and be like, okay, this is what I shouldn't say. That's going to be on the front. And the, but this is what they do need. 
And so I have learned so much from that and have actually already been able to apply it to things that have listened, have happened in close to my close friends. And so that I've been really grateful for. And, you know, I think the one thing that I just walk away with every time is it's just, it's all about being intentional. Like we all have the same amount of hours in a day that we are given. And it is what we choose to do with it. I'm a busy mom of four and I have to be intentional with reaching out to my friends and growing those friendships. Because if I let them happen with my remaining leftover time, they won't grow. And so it's just, it's the decision. It's the decision to be intentional. And also, even though my kids, I mean, my oldest is 14, she's going into high school next year, but even my kids training them now to be that friend that they want. Cause that's the thing is I've talked to a lot of people that yeah. have said, Hey, I am that, you know, how do, how do I get that friend? Like I need that friend. And I'm like, be that friend, whatever you want from a friend, be her. And I promise you there is sowing and reaping. You sow those seeds of being that friend your harvest will come in and those, you will get those friends. And so just teaching my kids in their young age, being intentional, you know, making your friends feel loved, important, seen. I think the other important thing, and um, this is one that I will even struggle with. And my husband actually has brought it to my attention is when we are with somebody being fully present, not being with them and also checking your phone and, and scrolling. Cause I'm going to tell you, even if you're with the person and you're making the time to be with them, they don't feel valued when you're on your phone yeah. looking, they want to be engaged. And so I can multitask. So I, at the end of the night, my husband and I kind of will go through like, how was the day? What does tomorrow look like? And for me, at the same time, I'm checking my email Now I can do both. But for him, he's like, no, it does not feel like I have your attention. And I don't feel like I am the most important person in this room right now. I feel like your phone is. And so I had a, I had a dinner with a friend not that long ago and she scrolled her phone almost the whole time we were together. And it was like, okay, I totally get now what my husband feels like because <laughs> I did not feel important there. And, you know, she probably had no idea what, what it felt like, but, you know, just that reminder of when you, when you do take the time to be with somebody, be present, actually be there. Um, I think it's super important. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, and I think that's one of the great challenges of our age, right? Our phones have become our devices mm -hmm. that we use to manage anxiety, at least for me. I know it is right to, yeah. to kind of, okay, help me manage that. And uh, so in some of those conversations that can be really, really tempting, mm -hmm. but uh, it is put it down, yes. put it down. That's, that's the key. Um, very, very interesting. All right, Heather. So your, your show is called connecting the chaos. People can find it at connectinginthechaos.com. Good job getting the mm. domain name. Well yep. done. Well done. And uh, that's good. And uh, friends, it's she, it's a podcast. So you're in the podcast app already. Flip over there. Uh, if anything that Heather said today resonates with you, go and listen. I know you're going to get a lot of value over there as well from Heather's show. Heather, is there anything you want to leave us with? We, are, we live in a culture that is all about investing, investing, especially in our future, in the stock market, in cryptocurrency, in our education, in our career. And none of those things are bad. 
But the greatest gift we have been given on this earth are people. And I just think, what if we took that energy that we put into those things that we may never see here on earth and we put them into the people that are right in front of us right now? I think our relationships would be transformed. Love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing just a little bit of your story with us. No problem. Thanks for having me on. 